0: A reading by uh, Adam Roversmith. Watching the public debates about climate change is an exercise in resistance. It involves resistance to willful ignorance, resistance to accepting all statements, especially unsubstantiated ones, resistance to the despair that can rise within us as we face public discourse, the science, and the toll taken on human community. Unfortunately, our individual reactions to human-caused climate change can also be unhelpful in terms of finding solutions. Some of us are panicking. Some are refusing to listen. Some are trying to scare everyone into certain behaviors, whether to reverse or to ignore climate change. And others are just reporting what they think they know. With all this debate and reaction, a problem that is as large as climate change can cause paralysis, ineffectiveness, and despair. Nevertheless, science is showing us something important. We are affecting our climate and ecosystems in ways that are detrimental to life on the planet and to how we live. We know that we need to change how we act as a species. We should have changed as a nation long ago, yet we have not. Scientists are offering research that has been confirmed repeatedly and making predictions that should frighten us all into behaving differently, yet change is not coming, as many of us would expect. Research shows that our acts disproportionately affect the poor and oppressed all over the world, yet we continue to use harmful technologies and resources. It seems that simply presenting information is not enough. Scaring people with doomsday scenarios, even if they're based on our very best knowledge, does not produce sufficient change. In fact, it often creates resistance. Making pollution and waste and overconsumption sinful or shameful has some effect, but not enough to change how we behave as a culture or to make policy as a nation. While these debates continue, people around the world suffer with changes they are unable to ameliorate And those with the least power and resources suffer most of all.
1: The environmental crisis, the brutal impact of climate injustice, it's a massive, wicked problem. A wicked problem is one that is embedded in so many different systems that it appears intractable. It appears that there is no way to get at it to stop it. Environmental injustice is embedded in economic systems, international trade, and land use, in racial justice, in classism, in sexism. When we look at an environmental injustice problem, it can appear to be impossible to begin to get change. We can despair. And arguments erupt on all sides. Arguments like, if we don't put in this pipeline, the economy will struggle and we won't be competitive with others. It will make us vulnerable. And then on the other side, if we do put in this pipeline, people will become sick and die. Some blame this problem on the poor or on health care and some deny the problem We could problems seem so big and impossible, but they share something in common. They are rooted in a collective, cognitive shortfall. A collective inability to comprehend the problem, and especially to comprehend the roots of the problem that are driving the system out of control. Let's examine, without taking on the entire environmental crisis right now, let's examine the environmental (coughs) injustice crisis of unfairness unfairness. It's blatantly unfair that those with the least resources to withstand climate crisis are also among those who will receive the greatest impact and have the least choice about their impact on the planet. Those who withstand the greatest impact have the least impact on the planet. Whether you live it because you actually personally suffer more from the environmental crisis due to asthma or income, or whether you've read about this phenomenon, there's a basic unfairness to it. It tugs at our morality, our sense of right and wrong. The unfairness. When I witness unfairness like this, I get a visceral reaction. I don't know about you, but unfairness makes my chest tighten and my stomach tighten, and my brain wants to reject it. I get a little judging. I think things like, how can anybody justify putting in the Dakota Access Pipeline, knowing that it will destroy people's food source and poison people. How can anybody justify that? And we get, I I ask things like, how can you justify dropping landfills next door to communities who have the least capacity to clean their air and protect (coughs) the lungs of their little ones? How can you justify that? How can you justify tipping weather systems into instability? and extreme storms that devastate communities and countries who are the most vulnerable. One unfairness that I live with right now, and I want to share it, is a personal unfairness that I wrestle with because I'm part of it. This unfairness is that my three children and I, and my husband, will have a greater impact on the environment than my distant cousins in Nigeria ever will. My three children will have a far bigger impact than 12 children in Nigeria. And yet, it is the people in Nigeria who will suffer the greatest impact of the environmental crisis. They will suffer greater, far greater than I will. I may not live to experience the pain, to experience the challenges with breathing or with water sources, but my cousins in Nigeria will, and they aren't the problem the way I am. Even though I recycle and I try to reduce my carbon footprint and I watch what I eat and I try to eat in ways with less environmental impact, even with all this, my impact is still much more. It's unfair. It's blatantly unfair. And before you try to assuage my guilt, I want to hold on to it. I choose to hold on to this because it illuminates the gap in my moral fabric, the moral fabric of my life. And the gap is between what I want my impact on this planet to be, which is about justice and fairness, and the reality that I live with. There is not a quick, easy fix. But there are quick and easy justifications that creep up in my mind. They pop up to cover that gap in my moral fabric. I don't want to cover the gap in my moral fabric. The reality is that my mind is pre-programmed with rationalizations that will cover it up. I could pull them out at any time to comfort myself. All of our minds have these rationalizations. They are provided by our society. Our brain simply pulls them up to cover the gap in our moral fabric. Allow me to repeat this idea. When we sense a gap between our sense of justice and fairness and our action in the world, our brains want to tell us something nice to fill that gap. Our brains are just designed to be pattern fillers, and they will pull on the messages that are dominant in our society. Our brains will pull on those messages to give us what seems like a complete picture. Here's a rationalization. I'll show you an example of how it fits in on me. I worked hard to get where I am. I did. My family came from origins. My family of origins started with lesser needs, and I worked hard to get where I am. Therefore, this is good. I've earned it. But the idea that I worked hard to get where I am, and therefore the situation okay is okay, this idea rests on an assumption, on a cushion, if you will. The assumption is that where I am is evidence of good, and that if I was suffering, that would not be evidence of good. Because I'm relatively comfortable, and so is my family, therefore, this is a good situation. But there's a fundamental flaw in my rationality patch, if you will, a flaw. The rationalization is only half-baked, only half-baked. The rest of reality is left out. The reality that I worked reasonably hard to have a relatively comfortable life and I experience a lot of power to make decisions about my life. While the other part of reality, most people on the planet, no matter how hard they work, no matter how hard they try they are suffering, and they have little choice about what happens to them. The smaller logic works for me, and it feels true. I did what wanted But it's only part of reality, and it covers the hole in my moral fabric. Let's go a little deeper into this rationalization and another one that justifies injustice. I worked hard for this, therefore I deserve it. Since European colonization on this continent began, the pilgrims looked at smallpox epidemics and other diseases following the indigenous peoples, the First Nations, and they believed this was God smiling on them. They believed that their good fortune was good, That they, it meant that they were good. When colonies succeeded later in stealing land and pushing First Nations further away, they rationalized their success in taking the land as being evidence that they were in fact right to do so. It is circular logic. I will take it, therefore, I should have taken it, because taking it defines me as powerful. The theologian Mike Hogue, in his book American Eminence, names this underlying logic. Hogue attributes it to an interpretation of Christian teaching, back in the Roman interpretation from the Holy Roman Empire, and it has examples in feudal life. And the core idea is that the sovereign is an exceptional ruler. Follow me with this. The sovereign is an exceptional ruler, and unlike anyone else, the sovereign can extract anything they need from the poor. And the more they extract, the wealthier they are. This is evidence of their divinity. The evidence that they are the chosen one of God to be the sovereign. It's not evidence of their ruthlessness or their oppression. But everybody wants in on this idea and as Hogue points out, it has become the value for all. We all are good when we see that we have done well. But the ideal of Domination as proof of superiority is not only a mis- is not our only misguided idea. Part of our worldview holds nature as separate from nature. That humans are somehow separated from nature. And not only that, that certain humans are closer to nature. And sociologists for decades have pointed out how people with black and brown skin and women have been associated with nature. Women, through their reproductive power, and people from indigenous lands, mainly black and brown people compared to Europeans, were seen as closer to nature because of their lifestyle. Somehow closer to nature. And this phenomenon has taken place in European countries and colonized countries everywhere around the world. This idea of somehow certain people being closer to nature and thereby somehow less evolved. The social construct of human versus nature combined with the sovereign power as defined by their domination combined with some people being less worthy is not only a justification for why we can put landfills in poor areas with majority black are put pipelines through indigenous land. It is not only a justification of that, it is in fact a driving root cause. The pursuit of domination as the definition of success. These are part of how we have developed our wicked problem. Consumption and devastation of nature is driven by the same logic that justifies the unfair, unfair impact. Over centuries, these ideas and logics have embedded themselves in our thinking, and you may notice how they show up. They can feel like common sense because they are common among us, and they impact nearly all of our actions and perceptions. Cognitions that justify clear cutting forests because it is profitable and will make the country economically profitable. Half-baked cognitions that rationalize greed and theft. continue. We get rationalizations like we should put in this pipeline because it will bring us wealth, and our growing wealth is good. It shows that we have success, and we don't need to worry about the people that will be disrupted, because if they were as powerful and successful, then they would be able to stop it. We get businesses organized on the basic logic that making money is the highest good. If someone in the supply chain, if some workers are abused, or if the business pollutes the earth, that is okay. In this logic, because the business, if the business isn't logic, liable, if the business isn't liable, these costs are called externalities. And the business can still be successful no matter its impact. And we get public servants agreeing to put landfills near impoverished communities, especially majority black communities. Why? Well, what is the justification for this? If I gave you the details of the justification, I would be repeating the logic and it's embedded with racist and sexist ideas. So I don't want to continue with it. But here's the point. If we do not address the harmful ideals that seem like common sense, that motivate our action, then we will only ever put Band-Aids on the environmental crisis. And here is a Band-Aid. And it may be a tourniquet, and we may need it, but this is a Band-Aid. It's a band-aid to ask the powerful to have sympathy and to take mercy on the poor. It's a band-aid, because rather what we need is for the powerful to realize, to awaken to the reality that their power and wealth does not prove their worth. Our power and might in the world as a nation does not prove our worth. In a context of deprivation, an impending devastation in our world. A glut of power and wealth only demonstrates the harm that is built into the system, the system that benefits me and hurts my cousins in Nigeria unfairly. In order to address these harmful ideals, rather than merely discounting them, we desperately need alternative ideals and healing worldview. And here is where I lead you out of the family of all the wrong that is in our culture. Because there is right here. There is right in each of our hearts. And there is incredible hope in the teaching that each of us offers one another in the world. Along with ideas like success defines my good and my being worthy, you have. Felt, I am sure, a tug in your heart when you saw someone treated unfairly. You have shared things with your neighbors, your friends, and even with strangers. You know the good of generosity. Each of us have this in our minds, along with any problematic ideals. All we need to do is focus on the ideals that will bring healing to the world. And what ideals do we draw on? We have wise people with teachings and views that all of our minds need, right here on this continent, in this country, among our nations. In the book, As Long as Grass Grows, Dina Agilio Whitaker of the Colville Confederated Tribes writes this about indigenous peoples' climate action. Native resistance is inextricably bound to worldviews that center not only the obvious sustaining forces of the natural world, but also the respect accorded of the natural world in relationships of reciprocity and relationality. We needed an antidote to domination, and here it is. Values and ideals of relationality and reciprocity. The teachings of those ideals that define relationality and reciprocity as good. And so we can turn to our neighbors among the First Nations and support their climate justice activism. And in doing so, we will learn from them about how they are calling people together, people from all backgrounds, to help heal the earth and to find justice. This is the type of thread that we need to begin to weave the gaps in our moral fabric. Each of us are needed as these weavers. These healing ideals and relational values, weaving them into our society. Our friends and neighbors, everyone needs us to help with this, and we can see how possible it is. When you were a child, who taught you? Who helped you see how what you did was related to the planet? I don't know about you, but when I was a child, I was told to close the front door because we weren't air conditioning the world. We don't live in a barn. But the message under that was economic. Now, my parents are, are champions of healing the planet now, but their message that came out out of habit to me was let's save money and be responsible. I was taught that being responsible was saving for retirement. I was taught that being responsible was saving for illness and my child's college fund. But when did anybody help me see that planting a tree was loving my children every bit as much as saving for their college helping my children to plant a tree. Or that reducing your carbon footprint could be as responsible as saving for retirement. The values in our society can change when we change them. And listening to the children talk about the story and the parents of those children can fill my heart with joy. You fill my heart with joy, You too. These children have insights and wisdom about our interactions on the planet that I didn't have. And my parents were kind of granola and health foodie and vegetarians. But we have done better, and we can still do better. Our messages, our new healing ideals that we bring to our neighbors, to the grocery store conversations, if you have ever those in the checkout line, to our children, this is in our imminent Power to change and heal, to change these ideas. It is within our power and within the power of this congregation. This congregation has taken on to the Social Justice Committee and the Green Sanctuary Committee. The study issue for this year is environmental justice. There is a whole calendar of ideas and actions, not just to educate yourself, but to help heal the world, and you can look at some of them, they're printed in your order of service. You can engage in our study issue. You have the power to do this. Look at these activities brought forward for our study issue and think about the ideals that you spread. You can push back because you are the ones recreating our society. We're recreating our society with every word and every value that we espouse and support. Every conversation can turn from wealth makes me good to how are our actions impacting people around the planet. We make this shift because this is how social structure is made. It is always made by the individual actions and the actions of communities to spread And heal ideas. We must find every opportunity to replace the ideal of domination as success with success as reciprocity and relationality. (coughs) Remember those long ideas because we're coming back to those two words in a second. We must find every opportunity to undo the notion that some people are lesser than, the idea that black and brown and female and poor bodies don't deserve the same dignity as all bodies. May we face for holes in our moral fabrics willingly, resisting the temptation to patch them with the ideals of our ancestors that do not so- suit our values and hopes for the planet. May we find the courage to hold ourselves accountable to these new ideals. Reciprocity, relationality as the highest pursuit and honoring.